So I absolutely just enjoyed um, this second chapter very, very much. There are many things in here that were, uh, it was just a huge conviction to me and in my life. And so as we kind of take a look at this from a devotional aspect of our longing to be with Christ, that's your first blank there, longing. Um, my question that I want you to ask yourself as we go through this is, do you have a deep longing to be with Christ? Do you have a deep <coughs> desire to spend time with him? Is it something where, like if you don't spend time with God um, during the day, during that particular day, that there's something that's just missing inside of you? Um, because that's what we're talking about here. Uh, I think that a lot of us, it's, it's very easy for us to play Christianity and to uh, put on the show and do the role and, and you know wear the name and go to church and maybe even read our Bible and do those sorts of things. But when I'm talking about a real relationship with God, um, that it's hard for you to go a day and not spend time with Him. That's when you know that you have a real relationship with Christ. And I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe you've never had that in your life. It's totally possible. And I'm thinking that the things that we go through today will really help you to understand that you can have that kind of relationship. And you should long for that. You should desire that. It's something that you should work hard for because God desires to be with you. And as we look at this a little bit later, he's longing to spend time with you on a daily basis. That, I mean, just think about that for a second. The, the God of this universe daily longs deeply in his heart to be with you and to spend time with you. When someone cares about me like that, it changes my perspective about them and even causes me want to want to be close with them. It really does. So um, I'm excited to get into this. So we'll get into this and, and we're going to try to do the best we can to uh, get finished with chapter two. All right. So the first part here is verse one and verse two, and that is the bridegroom uh, speaks to the bride. Someone read verse one and two of chapter two. Go ahead. <coughs> Okay, um, so very beautiful. People have quoted these two verses a lot when it comes to Song of Solomon. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. And so when we look at this, um, really the, thing, the two things that we can learn from this are these two things. Jesus is like a beautiful flower that can be found anywhere, and especially in the midst of the valleys of life. And Jesus' love, uh, Jesus' love... I'm, that's not worded right. My bad. <laughs> Jesus' love is one of a kind and found among thorns. Now, there's two concepts here that I really want to spend some time talking about. Jesus' love is, make my note there, is one of a kind and found among thorns. So the first thing is this. So it talks about the Rose of Sharon. Now, I wanted to show you this really quick. So um, in Israel, you have this, this area right here over by the Mediterranean Sea, uh, right below Mount Carmel and right above Joppa. This is called the Plain of Sharon. And it's a well-watered area that um, they, they would often take their flocks to in order to feed their flocks and for them to rest. And so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful area. But I wanted to show you this. Some of you guys may have seen this. But that is called... A lily. No. Tulip. No. Flower. It's in the Bible. Rose of Sharon. Rose of Sharon. <laughs> Verse 1. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Anyway, makes me very confident about Andy's Bible knowledge and the fact that he's going to be going down speaking to these students in Mexico. All right, all right. But you're talking about the Bible. Whatever. Okay, so this is a Rose of Sharon. Now, some of you guys might even have these in your backyard. Um, I know that my dad does. He has, if you've ever been over to our, uh, his house, uh, both sides of the driveway, he has planted rows of Sharon. And the thing about rows of Sharon is that they, like, multiply like crazy. I mean, like crazy. And it's not very difficult for them to survive. So if you were to take a rose, like we had a, before we moved out of our house in Akron, we had um, a rose that my grandpa um, had, and so it was one of the things we wanted to take with us. Well, when you're transplanting a rose, I mean, it's very delicate, and I don't think it's survived. I don't, don't say that. Okay. Well, anyway, they, we were told that even if we did everything that we were supposed to do, there's a 50-50 chance that it won't make it, because roses are just that delicate when it comes to transplanting. Rose of Sharon's? No. I mean, you might actually kill it and put it into the ground and it will come back again. It's one of those types of flowers. So that is fascinating to me because Jesus, Solomon, is likening himself unto a rose, the rose of Sharon. And they are absolutely beautiful. And they can be planted anywhere. And really, the climate doesn't matter. These things can be found all over the world. And that's just like Jesus Christ. You know, you can take the Bible and the gospel and the message of the gospel, and it translates into every culture in every country in the entire world. So it's really, really cool about how that is. And then you've got this one. What's that? The lily of the valley. It's called the lily of the valley. And what's amazing about these ones is that when they come up out of the ground, you can be really not that far away from them, and you can smell them. They are absolutely just, it's a wonderful, wonderful smell when it comes to a flower. But they're very delicate and very fragile. And so when it comes to these two flowers that Jesus likens himself to through Solomon in chapter 2, verse 1, that tells me a lot about the gospel. It tells me a lot about his heart. The rose of the plain, roses are everywhere. We've already talked about that. Sharon, I already talked about how it was a well-watered area where flocks gathered. It was peaceful. It was absolutely beautiful. And so when it comes to Christ in your life, it's exactly the same thing. The lily of the valley is delicate, beautiful, pure. It has a great aroma. But here's the reality of it. We don't like valleys, but that is where growth happens. We don't like them. I mean, how many of you are like, yes, I love those low points in my life where things are super difficult. And I have no way out. And I feel like everybody's coming against me. Yes. No, we don't like those circumstances at all. But I'm telling you, those moments in my life, and I know there's going to be more in the future, have been so sweet with God. Because there's no other option. There's no other way for me to get through it than to be with Him. My spiritual life has grown significantly because of valley situations. Difficulties that I can't deal with. And that's the reason. Things that I can deal with, I can solve, I can fix. But things that I can't deal with, what am I going to do? I mean, I can either give it over to God and have him help me, or I can just give up and walk away. Those are my only two options. And I know who God is, and he doesn't let me walk away. Because there are times where I try, but then he's like, no. And he convicts me deep within my heart, and then I can't. I can't. Go over to Isaiah 35. So hold your spot here and go over to Isaiah 35. I want to show you a couple passages that really just, man, they are... It just really impressed a lot upon my heart. So Isaiah 35, 
And then we're going to look at Isaiah 65. But Isaiah 35, I want you to see this. Isaiah 35, verse 1 and 2. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. What does it say there? Look at the the first first verse again. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice. These are things that no one likes. When When you see the term wilderness, you always take that back to Exodus, when the people came out of Egypt, and they spent all that time in the wilderness. It was terrible. They murmured. They complained. There was a lot. They didn't have water. They didn't have food. They complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. It was not fun. It was not fun. Desert place, the same thing. If you get stuck in the middle of a desert place, I mean, you're as good as dead. And so here, God says these places, the wilderness, the solitary place where you feel alone, and the desert place where there's no sustenance, they can be places where you can rejoice and it can blossom as a rose. It can turn into the plain of Sharon. It can turn into those things, but it comes down to you and your attitude and your willingness to actually trust God and follow his lead. That's what it comes down to every single time. And Jesus Christ can do that because when you are lost and you are without hope and you are going to go to hell because you're a sinner, that is a wilderness, solitary, desert place. You have no hope. There's no future. There's nothing for you. But yet when Christ enters into the picture, he turns that completely around completely. It's the same thing with the sins that we struggle with in our life. Sins and the sin struggles that we have are wilderness places. They are solitary places where you often feel alone, like no one else struggles with this except for me. And you feel like you're by yourself and you feel like that I'm, I've, I might just die or I, can, I, I don't want to deal with this or I don't want to. And then if you give that over to Christ and you let him work it, he can turn that wilderness, that solitary place, that desert place into something beautiful. That's what's happened in my life. That's why the Bible talks about how Paul, when he said that he glories in his weaknesses and his infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon him. My weaknesses, if I let them out and I let you guys see my struggles and the things that I have a hard time with, God can then use that and be glorified. It's when we start to hide them and isolate ourselves and then deal with them on our own that then we run into trouble. That's what happens every time, every time. So, those are some of the lessons we can learn there. Go to chapter 65. I want you to see this one. This one is powerful. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, and look at verse 9, and 10 is going to be our focus. 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and mine servants, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon, there it is, shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. Okay, Sharon's there again. So we know it's well-watered, a place of nourishment, rest, it's beautiful, life can happen there. But look what else is associated to it. The Valley of Achor. What is the Valley of Achor? Anyone know that place in the Bible? It's in the Old Testament. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, there was a guy. 
Uh huh. Yep, yep, a Babylonish garment, and there was gold, and there was the guy's name was Achan. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, before they went in to, um, I think it was Jericho, yeah, it was Jericho, before they went into Jericho, God told Joshua, warn the people, do not, do not, do not take of the, whatever you called it, oh, just, my mind just went blank, um, the cursed thing. That's what, that's what he called it. Do not take of the cursed thing. He didn't give any details about what it was. We found out later what it was because Achan took of the cursed thing. He coveted after it. He took it. He stole it. He hid it under his tent. And then God said, all right, you got sin in the camp because they went to the battle of Ai. And when they went to go take on the, the men of Ai, they got slaughtered and they ran for their lives. And they're like, God's left us. What do we do? And, and Joshua's on his face. He's like, Lord, why do you have me do this? You told me that you'd, you'd get our backs. And then all this stuff happens. And then God looks at him and says, ah, uh, get thee up. Get up off your face. There's sin in the camp. You need to deal with it. Okay. So then he goes and he does that. And he deals with it. And so it comes down. He finds the family, finds the guy, finds the stuff. Now, the consequence of him stealing that was what? Death. He called him, and not just him, but his whole family and all of his stuff into the valley of Achor, and they stoned him with stones in order to put away sin from the people. And then after that, they were able to gain the victory in the further battles. The valley of Achor was a valley of a curse. The consequence of sin. Death. That's Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And in that same place of death can be, in the Valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. And this is how God works in our life. This is why we are just, we just, we self-deceive ourselves so much when it comes to issues of our life where, like, we're, we're afraid to let ourselves be known for who we actually are because God's like, no, stop hiding that stuff. If you just stop hiding that stuff and you'd be willing to deal with it with me and be able to work through it, I'll be able to use it and I'll be able to be honored through it and glorified. And you don't have to struggle as much anymore. You don't have to, to be, have, be, be so worked up about it anymore. You don't have to be so ashamed about it anymore. If you're willing to just deal with it and let me have it, then I can use it and then I can be honored through it. This is what God does. And so I love how he correlates that with Sharon, and so I had to talk about that too. All right, so there's that. And then the next point, Jesus' Jesus's love is one of a kind and found among thorns. Now, when it comes to thorns, I thought about this verse, Genesis 3.18. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. What's going on there? Curse. The curse because of sin, Adam and Eve. So part of the curse of sin was thorns. So that's one of the pictures that you see within the Bible. And, um, and so what I love about that whole thing there is, uh, and I was thinking about this, is in Matthew 27. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, in Matthew 27. So it's not a coincidence that they had a crown of thorns were on his head and he was bearing the sins of the whole world on his shoulders. That's a direct correlation. That he was doing that. And that was one of the pictures. And so whenever you see thorns, one of the first things that you should see in your heart and in your mind is sin. Is sin. And Jesus' love is one of a kind. And it is found among thorns for sure. For sure. So when he says in Song of Solomon chapter 2. Go back there real quick. Song of Solomon chapter 2. (coughs) 
For he says in verse 2, As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. And that is such a beautiful, beautiful picture. His love stands out in contrast to everything else. Nothing can be compared to it. And really, the greatest demonstration of his love for you and I is what he did for us on the cross. Because the Bible says very clearly that we were his enemies. We were his enemies, and yet he died for us. He did that for you and I. You don't do that for your enemies. You hate your enemies. That's where God is very different. He chose to love you and I, and his love is very unique. And when we, like, whenever I think about the gospel, whenever I think about what Christ has done for me personally, it makes me have a change of heart towards other people. It makes me, like, there's certain people that I might be frustrated with, or I might not like in the moment, or that I just get frustrated because they're just not walking with the Lord, or they're not making good decisions in their life. When I think about what God has done for me, it changes my heart towards them. And it gives me the ability to have compassion towards them, because He did that towards me. And that kind of a love, when you have that kind of a love for people, people are drawn to that. They are. Because you care about them, and yeah, they got stuff they got to deal with, but you care about them, and you love them because you want their life to be better than what it is. And if you love them like God does, then you'll be able to lead them to him. You'll be able to. All right, let's take a look at the next point. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. 2 through 7. So the first thing here is, uh, let's take a look at verse... Verse 3. And I just capped on 2 there just because it kind of goes with it. All right, so the bride speaks to the bridegroom. And uh, verse 3. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So Jesus provides nourishment, comfort, shelter, protection, and rest. And Jesus' words are sweet and satisfying. You know, I couldn't help but think about a few verses, um, especially with being underneath the shadow of a tree. And that's this, Psalm 91.1. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I love that verse. Have you ever been, um, like a day when you've been out and you've been, you know, maybe doing something outside or it's been super hot or whatever, and uh, man, when you sit underneath the shade of a tree or you get in the shade of a home or you walk back into your house and it's like air conditioning, it's like, ah. That's it's the like, camp under the kickball tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The kickball, there you go. The camp kickball tree. It provides awesome shade. You get out from the heat and it's just very, very refreshing. If you stay out in the heat for too long, what happens? You pass out. You have a stroke. You go mad. You go crazy. You start yelling at people. <laughs> you know? That's what happens. That's what happens. Yeah? So, when it comes to your spiritual life, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. When you spend too much time out in the world, and you're not willing to go and sit and rest under the shadow of God, and to be with Him, and to take a break, and to spend time with Him, you'll go insane. You will go insane. You'll pass out. You'll start cursing at people. You'll start. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be a jerk. You will. It, it's just the way it works because we, we just get in our flesh. We're, we're sinful human beings. You need to spend time with God. And that's why I love this verse, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Now, it says secret place, but it's not because it's hidden and it's a place that like, oh, God's trying to keep a secret. No, boy, it's loud. No, it's none of that kind of stuff. It's the fact that the reason why it's secret is because no one wants to know where it is. It's open and available to everybody, 
It's just few want to actually go there. It's like what Jesus said about the road to life. It's narrow. Few find it. It doesn't mean that he made it narrow. It's narrow because few people travel it. It's a secret place because no one's willing to go there. And if you're willing to go there, then you'll be able to be refreshed. You will. You will. I love this one too. Psalm 57. Now this is the first part of Psalm 57. Sometimes in in Psalm you have these parts in brackets that gives you some context. So in Psalm 57 it says, To the chief musician, however you say that, um, you know, about that. Sure. When he fled from Saul in the cave. So David wrote this when he was running from Saul. So he's running for his life. And this is the first verse of this psalm. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Oh, this is so sweet. I love this. Because there are times in life where things get super overwhelming. And you have no idea what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to handle things. David's running for his life. He thinks he's going to die. But what does he say? What is his attitude? My soul trusteth in thee. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until. Uh, God, I'm just going to stay here with you. I'm just going to stay here until things get better. Until things get better and I can go back out and I can walk among whoever again. I'm just going to stay here with you until things get better. That's the kind of relationship God wants you to have. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Like, when my kids get hurt, they run to me or to Megan. Like, this just happened yesterday. Or maybe even this morning. No, it was yesterday. This morning, Lucy's hand. Yeah. Like, Lucas was trying to comfort her. Did she want anything to do with Lucas? Meh. <laughs> nope. She's running to her parents. I can't imagine if my kid's hurting and they're in pain and they don't want to come to me. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. Well, they just sit there and they wallow and they're in pain and they're just crying like crazy, refusing to be comforted. I'm right here. I mean, that's how God is with you, God, you and me. This is how he is, where he's like, I'm right here. Just come to me. Would you just come to me? I'm here. I want to comfort you. I want to help you. But instead, we often just want to wallow and we want to stay where we're at and we just want to just have our fits and just be discontent and we refuse to be comforted. Why? For what reason? For what purpose? Why? When there's a way out, take it. Take it. Man, he's the only one that can provide that kind of leadership in our life that we need at that point in time. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. All right. And then I love the second part too as far as the apple trees and the sweets to your, to your taste. You know, the trees have multiple benefits, but the apple tree also provides food as well. And so I was thinking about how Jesus' words are sweet and satisfying. So God and his words cannot be separated. We've talked about that a lot. Um, how you treat them is how you treat God. And the Bible should nourish and satisfy you like nothing else can. Like nothing else can. I go over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. A little bit to your left. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 103. All right, so I'm going to read that one. Go ahead, Kent. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's talking about God's words, and specifically, this is David talking about the Old Testament. He says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Do you look at God's word that way? Do you have that kind of a desire towards God's words? 
Or is God's words a burden to you and very bitter and you do not want them anywhere near you? That tells you a lot about where you are currently at with God. It tells you a lot. And just be honest. Just be honest with yourself. I mean, be honest with God about it and just say, God, that's where I'm at. I'm at a place where I just don't care about you or your words. Because if you don't care about God's words, you don't care about God. You just don't. And that is as blunt as I can put it. So be honest with yourself. Deep down in your heart of hearts, do you actually care about God? That's measured by how much you care about his words. And if you're willing to get into it and invest your heart into it, you will love God's words more and more and more and more. And sure, there are days where my heart's not right. Absolutely. It happens. And so, you know what I do? I go to God on and say, God, I'm just, I don't have a good attitude towards your words today. But I know I need them. And so then I just get over myself at that moment, and I get into God's words, and you know what he does? Every time, every time, every time I open up the book and I talk to God that way, every time, it's like he's coming right down out of heaven, and he touches my heart with something that I read out of his book every time, every time. And it's like exactly what I need that day. Exactly what I need. So where are you at with that? Where are you at with that? Proverbs 24 says something similar. My son, eat thou honey, because it is good. So consume God's word because it is good in the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So some days you may not want to, but realize that the Bible is good for you. You just need to talk to God about your heart, and you need to consume it anyway. So go ahead and do that. All right, go back to Song of Solomon. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. So this is still the bride, and she's speaking about the bridegroom. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Christ openly celebrates, that's your blank, celebrates. Christ openly celebrates our relationship with him. And so should we. So should we. God is never ashamed of you. Ever. There is never a moment where God is ashamed of you, ever. But I would say there are times in my life where I am ashamed of God. It should never be that way. He openly celebrates me. I wish we had time to look at some of these verses. In Colossians 2, it talks about how uh, when he paid for your sin, debt, on the cross, that he made a show of the enemies of God openly through what he did for you. Like he is so, like you are on his side. He loves you. He cares about you. And he's using you as the vehicle through which to boast the unseen world about how great and how incredible he is and how much he loves you and I. Oftentimes we look at our life and because of the stupidity that we end up just getting ourselves in, then we think our lives are a mockery to God. And they are, for sure. For sure. But that is also part of your flesh and the enemy trying to discourage you from walking with God. Because we will make mistakes, no doubt. We will make mistakes, we will struggle. That's what we do. We're just, we're sinners. We make mistakes like that. But you've got to understand, what Christ did for you on the cross, and if you, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then he boasts about you to the unseen world, to his enemies. He, that's what he does. He says, look what they've done. Because John 17 <laughs> talks about it, that when you believe God and you believe his words, God is glorified in you. The moment that you get saved, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior and you're obedient to the Scriptures in that regard— he is glorified in you at that moment and that point forward. And there's always something that he can boast on you about 
to anybody else that might come to him and say, look what they've done. Look what they've done. Look what kind of, look what kind of attitude they're having towards their parents. Look, 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 look what kind of sin they're in right now. Look what they're doing with their time. Look what they're, and God's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, I don't like that. But you know what they did? They trusted me as their savior and God is glorified. That is amazing. That keeps me going on a daily basis. So you need to remember that. Christ openly celebrates you and we should do the exact same thing. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right. Sorry, I'm flipping my page, but you guys are on the same one. All right. Verse 5. Verse 5. Stay me with flagons. Flagons, however you want to pronounce it. It's right with me. Flagon, flagon. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Our, our hearts should long for Christ above everything else. Above everything else. And so the question that I got to ask based on that is, does he have your heart? Does he truly have your heart? You know, I was going to hit this verse. Let me keep going. That was a picture of the banner. I was going to do that one, but we just didn't have time. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Why is it not sinking up? All right, whatever. Okay, Matthew 6, 21. Whenever it decides to pop up, it will pop up there, but that's what it says. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I've got to ask you, does God have your heart? Does he have your heart? Well, how can you know? How can you know if God has your heart? Well, what gets your time? What gets your attention? What occupies your mind? I mean, think about that. What, what are the things that you just think about in your heart and in your mind throughout any given day? How much does God get of that? <coughs> How much does he get? Does he get a lot? Or do we just kind of remember him on Sundays or maybe before meals or before we go to bed or right before we go to meet with our discipler? Or, you know, Wednesdays. I mean, does he only get that? Or does he actually get more of your time each and every day? As you grow in your relationship with him, he will get more of your heart and of your mind. Because whatever goes into your mind, that's what you think about. It goes into your eyes, it goes into your ears. That's what you think about on any given day. And so the more time that you spend in God's word, praying and talking to him, thinking about the things of God, thinking about people from God's perspective, the more you're going to be thinking about God. You will. So, what has your heart? Does God have your heart? He should have it. He should have it. All right. Verse 6. Verse 6. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. Now, Pastor Tom loves this verse, and you've seen him do this before. But, you know, he's always done it from the angle where, you know, left hand under his head and the right arm embracing me, and he does it like that. But, you know, the other thing I was thinking about, because I was thinking about my kids. I was thinking about when I, just, when I hug them and when I hold them. It's the exact same thing. Is that that's how God desires to be with you and to be with I. And the thing about it is, is that our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, it requires great trust, a great amount of trust. And this trust comes in the form of being completely yielded to him. So, you know, I think about this with my kids because they trust me. And when I'm holding them, like I remember, like Lucy still does this, where if I'm holding her like that, like say I'm holding her like that, there are times where I'm holding her in my arms and she'll just do this where she'll just like lean back and she'll want to fall over. But she knows that I'm going to hold her. She would not be throwing herself backward with a good attitude if she didn't trust me in the process. She loves it when I throw her up in the air. I mean, she loves it. Lucas is starting to love it more and more too. He's like, yeah, I want it. So then I take him and I just throw him and then I catch him. And then she, does, she has her happy feet dance that she has and then she wants me to do it again. I mean, my kid trusts me that even if I throw her into the air, that I will catch her and she's able to enjoy that. So a lot of times we feel like God might be throwing us around. 
and we get scared about it because we don't think he's going to actually catch us, but it can actually be something that we can learn a lot from and enjoy with God. So we've got to look at things from that perspective. Do you trust him? Are you, are you someone that just has a hard time trusting God and you're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And you just struggle and so you can't progress in your walk with God because you're constantly questioning God over and over and over again? You're not going to get anywhere with that at all. I mean, do you know who God is? I mean, he kind of died for you. He took your hit and paid for your eternity. So I think you can trust him with whatever's going on. Like That's the worst it could get. Your destiny of sending you to hell, he took and he paid himself. And so I think with our circumstances, no matter how big we think they are, God's able to handle them. If he can handle that, he can handle this. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And then we'll end on this next point and we'll finish the rest next week. And that is verse 7. Verse 7. We should care deeply about Christ's well-being. And I thought this was really sweet, too, of the bride to talk about, to speak this way about the bridegroom. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. She wants to take care of him. She basically says, uh, he's sleeping, knock it off. <laughs> In a nice way. That's how she says it. Don't wake him up. If he wants to rest and if he wants to sleep, let him sleep. That's what she says. Because she, she cares about him. She cares about his well-being. And so we should care very deeply about Christ's well-being. Now, that's kind of weird to say that because Christ is completely self-sufficient. Like he doesn't need anything. But that's not 100% true. Because even though he doesn't need anything because he's God and he has everything, guess what he wants? What does he want? What does Christ want? What does Christ want from you? Mm-hmm. Let's get specific. What does he want from you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, leaders. The students. <laughs> I know, I know. Like if she's doing this, we'll do Yeah. What does he want from you specifically? Have you ever thought about that? What does he want from you? Give me a couple. What does he want from you? Want you to obey him because you love him? Honesty? He wants you to be honest. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Come on. We're in it on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what kind of a relationship would Megan and I have if she was ashamed to talk about me to everybody else? That would be terrible. Vice versa. If I was ashamed to talk about my wife where, oh, you're married to Megan. Oh, she's on paper. Who? No. I mean, come on. Think about this for a second. When you enter into a relationship with God, that's how it is. Do you think Christ is happy when we are ashamed to talk about him with people? No, his heart is broken. Why are you ashamed to talk about me? After what I've done for you, why are you so ashamed to talk about me? Why are you why are you ashamed to open up my book when other people are looking? Why are you ashamed to invite people to the place where I've saved other people that are like you and I've changed their life? What's the problem here? Why why don't you want to spend time with me? 
Why don't you want to be with me? Why don't you want to talk to me? This is a love relationship. This is a real love relationship with Christ. And when we ignore him, how do you think he feels? I mean, would you be in a relationship with someone if they did that to you? No, absolutely not. And would it be a very fruitful relationship where, you know, things are meaningful and you feel like your life has purpose and you're getting things done in this world and you're, no, no. This is why I love the Book of Song of Solomon because it helps me when I look at my life. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've been treating this too much like religion. And in some ways I've been using God for my own selfish gain when he just wants to be with me and he wants to spend time with me. And is God real to me like that? Is he? He needs to be. He needs to be. He wants to be. We just always get in the way. We can always get in the way because we're not looking at him properly. That's the point. All right, we're going to end on this next point because this next point needs more time. And um, so we're going to finish this up. Uh, next week for Easter. All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for the time that we could share together today. And um, um, God, I pray that you'd help us in our hearts and in our minds to just realize when we are just not doing this thing right with you, um, God, that we would never be ashamed of you and ashamed to talk about you, ashamed to take a stand for you, that we'd never be burdened to spend time with you but it would be something that would be our joy and our love, something that we look forward to, something that we can't wait to talk about because that's what you desire. That's what we should have. And that's exactly why we have so many problems as the Laodicean church, that our hearts are just not right. We think we're right with you, and we're really not. So help us to be honest about it, and I pray that we do something about it so you can be honored. There's more people for us to reach. We need to care for each other. But in order for us to do that, we need to care about you first. And we need to actually have a real relationship with you first. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you guys sign up for the activity on your way out. We will have three signatures.